Hey, we are going to continue our series, The Miracles of Jesus. And last week we talked about the storms, right? We, we talked about the disciples who had experienced these storms in their life. And uh, we looked at two different questions that they asked, right? The first one was, Lord, do you even care? Sometimes storms that happen in our life make us ask, leave us feeling and asking that question. Lord, do you even care? Lord, come on. Lord, where are you? And what we realize is through the miracles of Jesus, he cares, right? His love for us. He cares for us so much. Sometimes instead of looking at the things all around us, we just have to look at who's in the boat with us. And then our question changes. Our question changes to the second question the disciples ask, who is this man? Who is this man? What we realize is in times where storms take place and, and, and things seem overwhelming, all we have to do is remind ourselves of who he is. He is God, right? He is almighty. He is brave. He is the counselor. He is godly. He is everlasting. He is faithful, right? And, it, and I challenge us, let's go through the ABCs, right? Let's go through the ABCs, just describing about who he is, and we'll realize how our eyes become less about what is around us and more about who is with us. See, through the miracles of Jesus, they reveal to us who Jesus really is. As we encounter these extraordinary events of divine intervention, we get to also encounter the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has limitless compassion for us, to see us set free from bondage, to see us set free and redeemed. He is the one who truly changes everything. Right? Jesus changes everything. This week, um, we're going to be in Mark chapter 5. So one chapter over, actually. Uh, Mark chapter 5, verse 21 through 36. And we're going to see uh, these two individuals who are in despair. Right, They're in desperation. They go to Jesus because of who he is, because he changes everything. And I was at a basketball game this week, and I've attended many basketball games. And I realized something. They, they have this intro, right? If you've ever been to a high school basketball game or a, a college basketball game, uh, they have these intros or any really sporting event they have these intros that take place and they got this theme song right and it, and they normally have lights and uh, the cheerleaders normally do something and some even have like some fog machines and it gets pretty cool right it gets you pretty amped up i was thinking about a theme song for this morning and i came up with this one yeah i think some of you might know shot out right now it'd be a lot better probably a little bit cooler uh, but yeah i thought of this theme song a lot of you know it uh, a lot of you have heard that song i actually looked up uh, what it meant and, and the, the person that wrote it said his father kept telling him that don't stop believing things weren't going well and things didn't just take off for them and yeah, that's where the kind of the title of the song came from his father kept encouraging him don't stop believing, right? And uh, it gets to a line where it says, streetlight people. And they ask him, what does that even mean? What are streetlight people? And he said, well, I was looking out my window and I saw the streetlights were just hanging straight down. And as people walked by at night, they were walking out of darkness and into the light. 
They would, they would not appear and then appear and then disappear, right? They were streetlight people. And I thought about this passage, and I'm like, that's really what we're focusing on this morning is we're kind of focusing on this idea of don't stop believing, and we're realizing that there's some streetlight people that's taking place and happening in this passage, right? Uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 36, but it reads like this. When Jesus, uh, again, crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, uh, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, when she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt, uh, she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, the disciples answered, And yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, just believe. There's a lot of people that are involved in this story. We have Jairus, right? We have the crowds. We have the disciples. We have the woman who has been sick. And there's a lot of people going on. But, but I want to kind of just highlight the two, right? Jairus is this religious leader. He's this wealthy leading citizen, right? He was in charge of the synagogue, meaning uh, uh, he decided who prayed, who read scripture. Uh, culturally, he was well-respected. And not only do we see this man who is desperate for God, but we also see a woman who had been sick. And she was the complete opposite, right? She was kind of a nobody, an outcast. Because of her illness, uh, you would be considered unclean to socialize with her, right? She, she wasn't the wife of anyone. She was truly an outcast. And here we see her in her need asking for help. We see both of them desperate for something different desperate for a different outcome, desperate for an encounter with Jesus. We see both of them believing that Jesus is who they need most. See, here's the cool part. The woman could have said, who am I? Who am I that he would save me? I don't know about you or if you've ever been there in your life, but sometimes we get to a point in our circumstances and situations where we say, well, who am I? I'm not worthy of this. I'm just an outcast, right? I'm not worthy of this. And, and then you see Jairus, who, who at the other side of things could have said, well, who is she? Who is she that Jesus would help her? We were on the way to my house, and, and who is she that he would help her stop what he's doing and heal her? 
But here's what happens. Their need for Jesus did not allow their minds to go there. Instead of being desperate for, uh, in their own need, they were desperate for Jesus. Jairus was desperate. Right? The woman was desperate, but their needs were not greater than their need for Jesus. Our desperation doesn't uh, have to lead us to despair. Right? I think sometimes we think when we hear the word desperation, we, we think of the words like hopeless and despair. And, and, and sometimes we feel like in our desperation that, that we're at these moments. But desperation doesn't have to lead us to despair, but instead it truly can lead us to Jesus. Right? It can lead us to who he is. What many of us experience in times of despair and desperation is that we want to do whatever we can to ease the pain. We want to do whatever we can to fill that pain and that need. What do I mean by that? I don't know if you noticed, but my middle child has a Band-Aid on her forehead. Uh, she's had that there for like a month. Because what happens? We live where if you get a cut, you get a Band-Aid, Right? Well, children, oftentimes, and maybe some adults, uh, you get a boo-boo, and what heals it? A Band-Aid. It eases the pain. You don't even have a cut, and you're like, a Band-Aid did the trick. I feel so much better now, right? And she's worn that Band-Aid on her forehead. I think we asked her this week, hey, let's take that off. She's like, no, I'm not taking it off. It's like bringing her comfort or something, right? Uh, but we do that. We want to ease the pain. Or we do this. And this is, this is a weakness, right? This is a weakness. Uh, we get whatever ice cream is our favorite, and we start just to have a little bit, right? And a little bit becomes a lot. And, or uh, one of my favorites is we get a bowl of cereal. And, and I'm not talking like a bowl that's in your cabinet. I'm talking like we get the Tupperware out, okay? I know I'm going to get seconds, so why just this? I'm going to save me a trip. And I'm going to go get a Tupperware bowl of cereal, and I'm going to eat. Why? Because it's been a stressful week, or it, it's, been, it's been a week where I'm just feeling a little overwhelmed. I'm feeling just a little bit of despair. I'm trying to feel everything, and I'm doing whatever I can to ease the pain. We live in a culture of flexaceal. I don't know if you've ever seen the commercial of Flexaseal, but I love this thing, right? Because you can put a, a hole in a boat, and you're going to make it across, right? You, this thing does miracle works. And if you see the commercial, like he, he's got this tank, and there's just like a flood of water coming out. And he just slaps some Flexaseal on it, and we're all good, right? It fixes everything. It eases everything, right? And we live in this, in this culture. And in our state of desperation, we latch on to whatever we can. But here's the truth we learned this morning. Because of Jesus and who he is, we're not people of despair. We are people who get to experience his goodness. Right? We're not people that live in these states, but we get to experience his goodness. I was talking to a friend this week, and he said this. He said, we have heard of Jesus' greatness, but how many of us truly experience his goodness? See, we hear about it, but how many of us truly experience it? The woman who is needing healed went to Jesus because she hears about him. Go back to verse 37 for a minute. It says, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I could just touch his clothes, I will be healed. See, in her desperation, she is led to Jesus and in hearing about his greatness, she gets to encounter his goodness. Believe it or not, even when we are in the middle of our worst case scenarios, God is still good. 
Believe it or not, when you're in your worst case scenario, God is still good. We encounter uh, this passage in the worst case scenarios for these two individuals, right? The worst case scenarios are happening and taking place in their lives, and yet we get to see God's goodness. It's the same for you and I. Right? Maybe you've been fired. Maybe uh, your job isn't going as well. Maybe uh, you've been hurt by those you love and thought loved you. And maybe things didn't go like you planned. And maybe we have lost a loved one and the grief is still evident. Or maybe, after all, it is Super Bowl Sunday and your team lost 28-3 to in the third quarter. Okay, because you're an Atlanta Falcons fan. Pastor Mark, help him, help him, all right? Uh, he's still grieving that. And it's Super Bowl. And it just brings up all kinds of memories of worst case scenarios, right? No, but we live in them. We live in them. We experience them. I've had a few times in my life where I've been in worst case scenarios. I talked about last week how we were driving to Kentucky and we were, uh, it's in the middle of the night and the tire blows right on the trailer. The tire blows and it's 2 a.m. No one's open. And it's like, this is probably the worst case scenario that could happen when traveling. Um, I learned this week, don't ask me to change your tire because uh, I had a flat tire. We were borrowing uh, my mother-in-law's car and because uh, ours is in the shop and um, we were borrowing, got a, got a screw the size of like an M&M in there, okay? Took it, said, can you patch it? Can't patch it. Got a new tire on there. Well, um, I had it jacked up, but my driveway is kind of on a slant, not not a big one, but kind of on a slant. And I had had it jacked up enough to get the flat tire off. But guess what? You got to jack it up a little bit more to get the new tire on. And I was trying to, to manhandle this tire and get it on there. And in doing that, I was shaking the car. And all of a sudden, boom, car falls off the jack. I saw my, my life flash before my eyes. I immediately said, thank you, Jesus. Okay. Uh, and I, I just screamed, and here comes Jeremy. You okay? I was like, I'm good. I might have scared myself a little bit, but I'm good, right? Uh, so don't ask me to change any tires or anything on your car. Uh, but there was another time in my life where uh, I was going through worst case scenarios. Uh, I'd been asked to, to officiate a wedding and uh, I needed a haircut. Okay. I needed a haircut. I needed to just kind of clean some things up. Right. And I asked my wife, I said, Jennifer, we got clippers. We got clippers and they got guards on them. Could you just, could you just cut my hair? Like it's not, it's not too hard, right? Uh, and so she's like, yeah, I'm willing to do this. And so she goes and gets the clippers. And I don't remember exactly what happened, <laughs> but somehow the guard fell off or wasn't on there. And this is what it looked like, right? This is like, uh-oh, uh-oh, what do I do from here? Right? Where do we go from here? You immediately stop. First off, you immediately stop what you're doing. And she luckily called a barber, and she explained, she's like, look, I messed my husband's hair up, and he needs it fixed now. Like, we can't wait to get in somewhere. He needs it fixed now. So I went to a barber, and I found a barber, and it got cut a little bit shorter than what I like, but he was able to, to fade it in, right? He was able to do what he had. What happened was I went to a professional, and maybe if there's one thing we learn in this story is that we too should go to a professional, 
right? In our worst case scenarios, right? And when things get worse and they just continue to get worse, right? We should go to a professional. That's what happened in this woman's situation. A large crowd followed and pressed around uh, him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. The woman tried to fix it for 12 years, and the more she tried, the worse it got. At the same time, we see in Jairus' life, we see him in the moment where he is needing Jesus. He goes to Jesus, and he's there. He finds him. But what happens? It's too late. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Have you ever done everything you're supposed to, and it still just got worse? Have you ever done everything right? Literally, you did everything you were supposed to, everything that you thought you, you needed to do, and things still got worse. Jairus did that. He did what he was supposed to. And like our theme song, it was like Jesus just leaned over to him and said, don't stop believing. Look at verse 36. Overhearing what they, what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Fear wants to live in our worst case scenarios. Yet Jesus says, do not be afraid. Just believe. When we are scared, when we are facing the worst, when we are beginning to feel distant and hopeless and it's not looking good, can we have courage to just believe? It's courage, right? To say, I'm going to believe. I'm going to believe in who he is. I'm going to believe in what scripture tells me about him. I've heard about his greatness, and I'm going to believe that I can encounter his goodness as well. Right? Uh, Jennifer and I were uh, serving in Haiti. Uh, I was going to share a different story, and this one came up. So uh, with the baby dedication, I think maybe that's, that's why. But uh, we were serving in Haiti on a mission trip, and you kind of heard this. Uh, but we were struggling at one point to, to have children. And Jennifer was in like a 1%. We went to uh, some specialists, and uh, we weren't sure. We really weren't sure if we were going to have any kids. And um, we went to Haiti one year, and uh, three different times we got asked about our faith, or, or God challenged us in different ways. One was there was this old, these older ladies there, and they kind of looked at us and looked at Jennifer and said, basically, why no baby? Right. And it's funny how people don't know what you're going through when they say things. Right. They don't they really have no idea. And nobody on the trip really had any idea. That's something that you keep to yourself. And uh, she said, why no baby? And Jennifer kind of laughed it off, you know, kind of did her thing. And she looked at her and said, next year you bring me baby. Right. Next year you bring me baby. And we're kind of like, OK, you know, it's, it's just a coincidence. So then we go to church. A couple days later, we go to church on House of the Rock. It was at 6 a.m. You'd go. It used to be this big tent, uh, like a carnival tent, and they have now gotten a structure there. We would go and worship in the morning, and then we'd go uh, have our work day. And uh, one of the teenagers that was with us, and uh, she came over to Jennifer. She put her hand on her belly and said, Jesus, pointed up and said, baby, and pointed at her baby. Jesus, baby. And we were walking back, and Jennifer goes, did you see that? I said, what? And she told me that experience, and we were beginning to be like, okay, what's happening, right? What's going on? And then 
another day goes by, and we do our devotions at night, and we were walking, um, me and about three or four other guys were walking uh, some of them home. You know, it was late at night, and, and you were walking some of them home, and one of the girls uh, looked over at me and said, Josh, I mean, we're walking like this. I'm trying to get, like, we're just walking, right? We're not, we're talking, but like nothing, you know, what's going on. And she just looks over at me and says, Josh, where's your faith? And I was like, huh? Like, what? What do you mean? Like, what, what, what are you asking here? And she began to tell me about having a baby and talking to me about my faith in that. And I began to just go silent. I don't know if you ever had that, like, you just saw a ghost moment. You know, you're just like, what is happening? And so I just go silent. I go back and I tell Jennifer about this experience. And uh, we began to just uh, feel uh, just overwhelmed by everything. And uh, they said specifically, you will have a baby this year and bring it next year. It was in May of that year. The team prayed over us, and it was in May of that year. We went in January. We found out in May on Mother's Day that we were pregnant with Caroline. And so we named Caroline, Caroline Faith, uh, because we want to remember about what God has done and what faith can do. And we heard the news, and her due date was like January 8th or 10th or something like that, but it was going to be the next year. And I remember my wife looking at me and said, yeah, but Josh, they... They prayed that it would happen this year. They prayed that it would happen this year. We ended up having Caroline in November. She was born a little bit early, but we ended up having her in November of that year. And I'm thankful this morning that as we look at this woman in verse 34, she said, uh, when we see the response of Jesus in verse 34, he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Her faith healed her. See, faith asks us to keep believing. It encourages us like the song, don't stop believing because we have heard of his greatness and we have encountered his goodness Then, no matter what's in front of us, we still believe. But here's the cool part of this passage. You ready? Here's my favorite part. Jesus looks at the woman and says, go in peace, be freed from your suffering. Scripture tells us that she was healed the minute she touched his cloak, right? She was healed. She felt in her body something different and something changed. So why would Jesus say, go in peace and be freed from your suffering? What did he mean by that? He meant receive salvation of the mind. Be freed also, not just physically. See, some of us, we want miracles physically, And the reality is, is they also happen for us mentally and spiritually. There's something that takes place where we are left different. And Jesus is telling this woman, go, daughter, and be freed. Go in peace from your son. Be freed from your mind, which you have had great suffering. It's as if Jesus is telling her to let go of the weight in which you carry and be free. See, the reality is that some of us are carrying burdens and weight that we were never meant to carry. We're carrying things that have happened years ago, right? This woman has been going through something for 12 years. And if you are honest with yourself, maybe you are carrying some kind of weight mentally and spiritually that happened years ago. And Jesus, because of who he is and because of his goodness, gets to free you from that. The miracles that we need are not just physical, but they really are spiritually and mentally. 
I'm going to call the praise team back up here at this time, and we're going to sing a song. But how do we experience miracles like that? How do we, how do we get to experience freedom and redemption that we've talked about, not just, not just physically, but mentally? It's because we encounter his goodness. See, miracles that leave us transformed, leave us made new and different, that changes not just our surroundings, but ourselves and who we are. Many of us want our circumstances to change. Right? We want our situations to change, and sometimes they change. Sometimes those things change immediately, like the woman who had been sick. They changed immediately. But then there's other times where God's wanting to change us. Right? For those things to change, we have to change. You know why, uh, I don't know, resolutions, we make them. And I found out that 80% of us fell in six weeks. You know why? Because we desire our situations and circumstances to change, but we haven't prepared ourselves ourselves for the change. Maybe that's kind of like the miracles of Jesus. We want our circumstances and our situations to change, but have we prepared ourselves to change so that those things may change? See, we change because we have encountered his goodness. We have encountered his love for us. If there's one point I want to make today that I think we all should know, it's this. God's love for us is not about who we are or what we've done, but about who he is. Think about that. God's love for you and I has nothing to do with who we are or what we've done, but who he is because of his love. We get to keep the faith. We get to keep the faith. We get to keep believing who he is and what uh, mir- that's what miracles do. They reveal his love and goodness. To look at us and say, daughter. To look at us and say, son. To look at us and say, you are mine. Don't be afraid. Just believe. What power, what redemption we have in that. Amen.